This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Andrews and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Heal. Katie, Robert Jenrick, the former immigration minister, has resigned. Tell us what happened. Yes, so I think as we've discussed on this podcast, I think it was quite a pressing episode a few weeks ago where he said, has Robert Jenrick gone rogue? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> we know now, definitively. <laughs> Never let it be said this podcast does not have its finger on the pulse. Now, what happened is we had Rishi Sunak finally unveil his legislation for his plan B. As for what that bill does, it is not quite the full fat version, which Suella Bravman and others were calling for, in the sense it does not uh, have these notwithstanding clauses on the ECHR. Um, it does still stretch the, the boundaries in terms of what is within international law. So on the front of the bill, you have a note from James Cleverley, the Home Secretary, saying that he cannot say this is definitely in line with the ECHR. So it's definitely not the skimmed version. I think you're somewhere between between semi-skinned and full fat. I think it's a bit further than the middle option lots of people were talking about earlier in the week. Um, but it does not go quite where Sivada Bravman wanted to. When Rishi Sunak addressed the 1922 committee, he did talk about this. He said, you know, that one inch further we could go, he argued we can't go because the Rwandan government wouldn't like it. The Rwanda government are said to feel quite bruised um, by all the negative press they've been getting, human rights abuses, everyone's saying you can't send people to this horrible country. And I think in a way, you know, they almost saw doing this deal as joining an international community rather than becoming a pariah. And therefore, you had Rishi Sunak saying, if you actually do what people are saying in terms of this option, which completely, you know, is disapplying, notwithstanding clauses, the Rwanda government are going to pull out of the deal. So it's not an option. Now, we are getting to the Jemrick resignation. Um, and then you've also had since then the Rwanda government coming out and putting out a statement themselves talking about the importance of international law. Now, you then had, in this meeting of Rishi Sunak to the 22 committee, uh, a question from Marc Francois, which said, you know, some very supportive questions, though, to be fair, these rumours are normally quite supportive for 22 meeting. Marc Francois says, has Robert Jemrick resigned? Rishi Sunak cannot answer the question. He avoids it saying, that's not something I'm going to comment on. From that moment on, rumours start to swirl that he's gone. Robert Jenner is not replying to various people. And it falls in, I think, quite a, I know this is overused, but almost thick of it style scene. Laura Farris, one of the Home Office ministers, ends up suggesting on one of her broadcast rounds to say how good the bill is, that Robert Jenner has gone. James Cleverly later confirms it in the chamber. And then we get a long statement. Robert Jenrick's position is that he does not think this goes far enough and it's not going to work when it comes to stopping the boats. So he is very much in that Braverman camp. Now, we don't yet know what lots of Tory MPs think about whether they're going to back this bill. We have the Star Chamber, the One Nation group on the other side have their own legal team. But it clearly is very problematic for Rishi Sunak um, that his own senior Home Office minister has said it's not enough, particularly when the right of the party were looking towards Robert Jenrick as their new torchbearer inside government. This group feel that they have no one in government now Sir Bravman is gone. They thought Robert Jenrick might be their man and now he is gone. So it does suggest that Rishi Sunak is going to have a hard time selling this. And I think last night you suddenly got into this world where people were saying, 
confidence letters, Rishi Sunak's future leadership challenge. So you're back to this very messy point. I think it does feel a little bit like the 2017 Brexit era, where you just have all these Tory tribes and almost this irreconcilable problem. I think the challenge now is where do we go over the next um, three, four days in that the immediate reaction to the bill being published at around 4.45 yesterday was that there was a bit of silence because I think both sides uh, in terms of you know, the Tory faction, so the European Research Group and the One Nation Group are both getting legal advice looking at this, going to see how it all plays out. And frankly, there's always a bit of, I think, T- time taking and and and, and posturing, see where, where where both sides land on it, and see okay, well they like this and like that, etc. How are they going to shake out? And so I think that is going to be the challenge in terms of like getting enough support for the bill, which is expected to come back, I think, on Tuesday next week to the Commons. In terms of the immediate pressures facing Number Ten, they've got this press conference there at eleven o'clock, but they've also got to fill the spot vacated by Robert Jenrick, who's going to be immigration minister. Now you'd think probably they want someone of the centre right or the right. Who is going to take that? And I think the danger is that it now looks as though the incentives for staying out of the government are now could become stronger than staying in government and this is the sort of tipping point so I think perhaps there's a, if the Tory MPs are already sensing that you know it, there is now a political benefit in not being part of a government that's putting forward this bill that's just a lot of problems for Rishi Neck ahead we'll see how they get through you know the next day or so um, but clearly it is a difficult time I would think that given we've only got 12 months before an election I wouldn't think that it's going to be you know necessarily an immediate leadership crisis in the sense of succession but it definitely is a really big problem for Rishi Sunak um, and probably the most difficult hour of his premiership thus far. It could be the case that immigration minister becomes the new Brexit secretary. A poison chalice, so to speak. A job that lots of people have to take and no one really wants and everyone worries a bit about doing it. But we need one, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, James, the Overton window has shifted quite a bit here. On Monday, Robert Jenrick got essentially most of the reforms to legal migration that he wanted. The government did a huge U-turn in its policy and did a huge crackdown on legal migration. As Katie says, it's not the skim version of the Rwanda policy. It's much closer to the full fat or half and half, as Americans like to say, um, version uh, of the Rwanda policy that he and Suella Bravman were pushing for. It's still not enough. He has actually resigned. What does this say about where the Tory party is on immigration? I think that there is clearly a massive difference of opinion in terms of international obligations. There are some One Nation Tories you talk to and they say, you know, the European Convention on Human Rights should be a source of pride. It's a European legacy project, etc. We should not do anything to jeopardise that. Others say, look, we have basically got to pull out of this this um, outdated kind of system of conventions and obligations that we've had. Um, and the question is, can you keep both sides happy? And I think this bill that does go further than before is now clearly not seen as being able to keep both sides in line. Um, and I think that's perhaps because the Supreme Court verdict last month was so viscerating, came back sooner than expected, was pretty damning. I think now the... Um, certain factions of the party are saying we need to go much further in order to kind of overcome this legal objection. And supporters of Suella Braverman are saying she was pushing for much tougher legislation earlier this year. Uh, the government decided not to support her on that. Number 10 decided not to support her on that. And that therefore, to make up for lost time, they need to go even further. Um, but I think, as you saw from James Cleverley's performance in the House of Commons last night, it can be difficult to answer these key questions about this legislation. And it may be the case that it won't, we won't know until it actually comes to test case and gets into law. Of course, the elephant in the room is if you do what Savannah Bravman says and you believe Rishi Sunak and you believe the statement from the Rwandan government, there is no Rwanda scheme to send asylum seekers to if you get um, the Suella plan. And that was... 
Well, exactly. So you end up in a very strange situation, which is what we're talking about Tory tribes. But, you know, when Suella Braverman appeared on the Today programme this morning, and this was put to her by Nick Robinson, she wouldn't really get into it. She appeared to at times hint that she thought Rishi Sunak was maybe lying about the Rwandan uh, situation, but she wouldn't say that explicitly. And then she said, well, actually, it's logically incoherent because um, even Rishi Sunak's plan does go close to breaching international law in parts and you look at the notes on it. So again, you get to the point where it does quite a bit of what she wants, but not quite enough, but enough for them to say, well, they shouldn't like that either. But yet it does seem as though the Rwandan government have said that they will keep the scheme going with Rishi Sunak's plan, but they won't with Suella Braverman's. So I think what you might start to hear from Tory MPs is, I think, two things. One, Rishi Sunak is just saying that because he's, you know, Prime Minister, if we were to actually say we're doing this, um, you know, the Rwanda government would fall into line. I think that would be what you start to hear. And then secondly, I think the other thing they'll say is, sure, but the, you know, sure the Rwanda government might say that, but we don't think this bill is going to work in the courts. So what's the point anyway, because the scheme's not going to activate. Um, but it does mean, I think, that it makes it harder for the right of the party to say this is, you know, this easy solution, take it off the shelf. And I also think what's interesting is you've had Suella Braverman saying this plan is rubbish. I think lots of people thought she was going to say that, you know, regardless, well, unless it was, you know, word for word what she said. And then there still might be a reason Rishi Sunak wasn't doing it well enough. Um, but there's been a few other indicators. You had Bill Cash at the 22 committee praising the legislation on initial glance. Not really a One Nation Tory, Bill Cash, a hardcore member of the ERG and Star Chamber. And then you also had Lord Sumption, <laughs> Lord Sumption, who argued in the spectator to leave the ECHR, saying he believes the legislation will work, but it could breach parts of international law. So I think we can get a bit, you know, um, oh, this you know, definitely isn't going to work. The noise of the generic resignations about a Braverman is a problem for Rishi Sunak because everyone has almost decided now that it doesn't smell right. But there have been some indications before that resignation that quite serious figures who are no fans of the ECHR think this might be the smart play in terms of legislation that gets you to where it needs to be. I think just go back briefly to the politics. I do think that Rob Jenrick going is potentially worse for Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman when he sacked her in the sense this is just one of Rishi Sunak's long-standing allies. They co-wrote, everyone always brings this up, you know, they co-wrote this piece. Uh, Rishi Sunak, Oliver Dowden, Rob Jenrick, Times Redbox, never had it so good, which was um, endorsing Boris Johnson. And it was at that point, lots more MPs fell into line and started backing him. So they were often seen as this free musketeers, the future stars of the Tory party. Um, and therefore, I think for Robert Jenrick to not only quit, but to do so at such a damaging moment for Rishi Sunak there was a way to do that but that would have been less damaging I mean just as he's trying to sell it just as he's trying to speak to MPs does suggest that that relationship you know has been completely pushed aside um perhaps because of conviction I also do think there are people who think that Robert Jenrick uh you know is unhappy uh you know his position when you think about where the others are now supporters of Robert Jenrick will say he really cares about these issues he thinks it's the future of the Tory party but I think you know it will sting to have a close ally do that yeah I think the key thing here is momentum right and you saw this number 10 has been at great pains to try and do the media operation around this so so at Braverman you know shot her shot in the Commons yesterday. Two hours later, we see the bill finally. Five o'clock, we have the Prime Minister doing his 1922 address. Six o'clock, we have the Home Secretary doing his address. And, you know, obviously, they were then found out about Robert Jenrick resigning. They intended to then have that news come out after Cleverly had finished his statement. Unfortunately, Laura Farris confirmed it on air, and so the news eked out. But this is the key thing here, uh, Kate, and as Katie was saying there, is that 
a lot of people, frankly, won't go through the ins and outs of the legislation. They will look at what other people are doing and saying. And that's why initial reactions are very telling. You know, saying, oh, well, this is a bit harder than before. But it actually is then about, okay, you know, ha- have we got the numbers to defeat this, etc.? And people will make judgments based off that in terms of lining up to think, you know, can we get further concessions? Can we demand, etc.? And so I think they are sort of reverting to kind of those pre-2019 Brexit kind of positions on this. The second point to make on the point about the Rwandan government, which Katie makes, which the government is very much stressing, is that, you know, Rwanda could pull out of this. We have had this scheme first, first floated 18 months ago. In that time, you know, the Supreme Court has made its judgment. They've made it clear that offshoring could, offshore processing of migrants and asylum seekers is, is allowed. But the point is that they were dealing specifically with the Rwanda government and they raised issues about the Rwanda government. No other government, no other country has had anything like this in the meantime. So you've had 18 months, you've got one country. And of course, that country pulls out, you don't have any countries to work with. So although the, the principle of offshoring may be sound and, and legally okay, you actually need a country to send them to. And, and frankly, we live in the real world where, you know, although you might have a great theory to send migrants somewhere, are you actually going to have a country to do that? And if Kigali pulls out, it leaves them high and dry. Katie, the government desperately wants a flight to take off before the next election. Um, Do you think that that makes these hits worth it in the sense that Rishi Sunak clearly thinks, rightly or wrongly, that this form of legislation is the most likely to get through? Is that worth the hit that he's taken today by losing such a close ally? And as you say, throwing us into some of the turmoil that, you know, a lot of us remember as the Brexit years. I don't think he had much choice after he chose to begin the year saying he was going to stop the boats. And Which he, he did choose. Yes. That was a choice. <laughs> and he did. And, and look, he didn't suddenly, you know, take the issue out of nowhere. It's been an issue that's been creeping up in terms of voter potency and so forth. But by making that pledge, he obviously made it front and centre. And I think you had a situation whereby it then put Rishi Sunak's decision in the hands of the courts. And that is something that means it's not really fully in his control. So you've had a pathway, which I think is potentially going to put him in a place where he feels he has to pledge leaving the ECHR in a Tory manifesto, depending how things go. And I think that since that Supreme Court ruling, which I always thought was going to be the most seismic thing that would happen before Christmas, whichever way it went in terms of the party's fortunes, since that, I think it's, you know, it's been trying to just fix things as much as you can. So I think this is him out of necessity, really. I think in terms of where things go next, obviously the vote next week is going to be really important. Does Rishi Sunak make it a confidence issue? That'd be one thing you could do. That's very high stakes. Um, He may not want to do that. And then I think you you could potentially have, given Labour have come out and said they will vote against it, um, you could have the Tory rebels teaming up with Labour to oppose the government. In a way, if you think about the Windsor framework, Kirstenhofer was always going to back it, so it didn't matter so much what the ERG did. Um, now, if you have a situation where Tory rebels team up with Labour to stop the policy, I think there is a point where, I don't think Richard's don't expect to leave number 10, but it's a point where his authority on his party is pretty shot and he is out of good options. And you are going to hear a lot more about confidence letters and so forth. The caveat I would add to that, though, is I think it is possible you end up in a situation where you get letters go in and there is a confidence vote. I don't think it's the most possible. So I don't think it's the most likely option, um, but it is possible. But I think he would right now comfortably win that vote. And that's why for all the feverish speculation right now, it's hard to see Sue Adabravan becoming Tory leader ahead of the next election. It is quite easy to see the Tory party becoming a hot steaming mess that goes further down the polls. 
Uh, in the last few minutes, we just had the news that uh, you know, Katie was talking about immigration minister being the new Brexit secretary. Well, the solution to the problem is they've split the post. So they've got two immigration ministers. Michael Tomlinson has become Minister of State, Minister for Legal Migration, and Tom Persglove is Minister of State, Minister for Legal Legal Migration and Delivery. And now Tom Persglove is probably seen as the most uh, right-wing minister remaining in the government. Um, so it's probably a kind of shrewd move from Rishi Sunak's point of view to give it to the kind of the most centre-right, right-wing person within his administration. But uh, we'll wait to see if uh, he lasts longer in the role than his predecessor does. It's nice to see the government acknowledging that there is a difference between legal and illegal migration, because sometimes when they talk about legal migration, you would think they weren't. Spoken like a true legal migrant. Katie and James, thanks for joining me.